Adam Sarhan is the host of the Smart Money Circle Show, which, by the way, is in its ninth season. He is the author of the best-selling book, Psychological Analysis for Investing and Trading. He's a contributor to Forbes and can be seen all over financial media. He's also the CEO and founder of 50 Park Investments. Adam, your book is the one that I recommend to anyone that asks me about trading books. It is so good, my friend. Links for everything, Adam, will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today, sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Scott, for inviting me on. Thank you. I'm glad that you like the book. And um, by all means, I'm very excited to see where the wind's going to blow us today. Fantastic. Well, I touched on your background a little bit, but would love to get started with how you got involved in the markets. Sure. So I'm one of those stories, an unconventional story, but self-made uh, success story on Wall Street. I started with less than nothing. I couldn't eat at one point in my life early on. And I grew up in a world where I'm like, okay, I've got one of two options. I need to either learn or just stay what I'm doing and stay in that kind of you know, situation where I wasn't comfortable in. So I knew I didn't know. I didn't go to Harvard or Yale. I didn't go work at a big investment bank. Instead, I, I'm self-taught. So I have one job is to learn. And that was my, it is not even was, it is my biggest strength or my biggest skill or asset, whatever word you want to use. I have a voracious appetite for learning. So when I start with the premise, I know I don't know, that humbles me. And the market, Mm -hmm. Scott, as you know, and the audience knows, is a tremendously powerful humbling instrument. (laughs) It it just really is, right? So having entered the arena i look at it like a gladiator arena almost or a battle zone something like that a competitive it's a highly competitive environment where anybody can compete and anybody can win entering that arena with the understanding and the humility of knowing i don't know gave me a huge advantage now i wish i could tell you i got in the market and became a multimillionaire overnight no <laughs> it took me over I mean, over a decade or so, even longer before I became a multimillionaire, was able to make money and became, oh, wow, I actually got this. I suffer from just about all of the possible mistakes you can make. I don't want to say beginner mistakes. I can tell you beginner, intermediate, adv- I'm still making mistakes, right? I'm lucky if I can tie my shoes in the morning. That's how I approach the world. So I started early in my career. I started trading stocks as a teenager in the 90s. I fell in love with markets right away. I'm I'm short. So if I'm going to play basketball against Shaquille O'Neal or Michael Jordan or LeBron James, I don't have a chance and you know what to win. And that's a physical limitation. But in this business, Scott, not only do I have a chance to win, but I have a chance to compete and I have a chance to thrive, right? Because it's based on what? It's based on my intellect. So it's not based on my physical limitation or, you know, people get older, they can't run as fast. So a lot of athletes have to retire. So here, this is an infinite game right? It's not a finite game. So again, it's based on something that I can, I, I can control I, knowledge, right? It's I can continue to learn, I could choose to learn, I could choose not to so on and so forth. So what I realized early on, after making all the mistakes under the sun, I wrote up the dot com boom in the late 90s. And then the crash, thankfully, I was able to get out of the way I was just getting started, I had no money. And the, the money that I lost was a very small amount. But really, what got me hooked into markets was my best friend growing up, as you know in the book, if you've read it, he became a commodities trader at Man Financial. This is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is the big, one of the biggest commodity trading futures companies in the world at the time. And John Corzine, unfortunately, took it down and, and buried it um, years later. But while he was working, he turned a very small amount of money, about five grand, into over 100 grand in a few weeks. And for me, a guy with nothing, I'm like, oh my God, like that's all the money in the world. And this guy did it without lifting a finger, so to speak. I mean, you click a mouse and money goes up, money goes down. I was like, whoa. So my first question is, I was like, hey, how do I get involved? I, I want in, right? Then all of a sudden, I opened up an account. He had lost about 25 grand on the Friday before my account was opened. His bosses didn't want him trading anymore because it was distracting him from his day job, rightfully so. And it was a perfect time for him to exit. And we decided to do 50-50 partnership. So he came in, he would manage my account for me. And the first day, the account doubled. And I put all my money in, like this was all in, right? Wow. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. I called him up. I said, hey, you know, where do you think we'll be at the end of the year? 
He goes, I said, you know, this was phenomenal returns. Everyone knows about markets. A 20% return for the entire year is considered fantastic. Uh -huh. Some of the best traders in the world average about 20 to 30%. And that's phenomenal, right? Year in, year out, over decades. This guy had 100% return in a day. So obviously, now knowing what I know now about statistics and numbers and performance, that's just not sustainable. So I never forget this guy. He told me ah, about a million bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, he just turned five to 100 and change. I, he just doubled my account. Why can't we get to a million, hundred? You know, he, he could ten exit to get to a million. It's that's not a problem. Yeah. And it was like the little cartoon light bulb went off. I had the euphoria aha moment. Just I mean, elated feelings of euphoria. Right. Mm -hmm. Then of course, what happens the next day? The profits are gone. The next day after that, the account's bankrupt by Wednesday. <sighs> okay. Whoa. He said, hey, don't worry about it. It was a one-off, whatever. Send some more money in. I don't. Problem is, I don't have more money to send in. So I go borrow on credit card, send some more money in. And then the next day, the account doubles. So if you ever watch the movie Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and the Coming to America, there's a scene from Coming to America where Eddie Murphy throws the Duke brothers a bunch of money. It's like it's just, you know, pocket change. And then Mortimer stands up. One of the Duke brothers like, we're back. Mortimer, we're back. And the other <laughs> brother stands up. So that's how I felt. I saw that scene replaying in my mind on Thursday. We doubled the account again. And they're like, okay, we're great. We're back. And then Friday, the account's bankrupt again. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. That was just like the up and down, the emotional roller coaster, the, the experience of wealth creation and wealth loss. And now I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and so on and so forth. I'm like, oh, my God. But that was a painful event at the time. It turned into a massive blessing, right? Because that it planted the proverbial seed for me to go out there and want to learn even more. So now I had a calling in life. This is my my passion, my calling, my my future. I, I just saw it crystal clear. And what, now, what year is this, Adam? What year is this around? This was 2000, 99, 2000, 2001, okay. when all this happened. So I started in the mid-90s, but really 98, 99 was mm -hmm. like the huge bull market. And then the market topped out in 2000. That's when I started trading uh, the futures with him right around that time frame to 01. So that was around that time. Okay. And then at the end of the week, I'm broke. I'm in debt. I'm bankrupt. And I said, okay, still, I love the guy till today. We, he's actually a partner of mine now in, in a big hedge fund we have. But that's a whole other story that he runs. Um, I realized I know I don't know. And now I've got one job. It's to learn. And I keep going back to that learn because you, Scott, and your audience – all of us, anybody that wants to participate in markets, you really have one job. It's just to learn, mm -hmm. right? What's stopping me from being a billionaire? What's stopping you with your audience or whoever? It's not the economy. It's not the market. It's not it. It's ourselves. It's our not. I just don't know what to do to be a billionaire. I'll be honest. That, that's nothing. You know, in fact, I strongly recommend people being intellectually honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. So I fired him as a you know, money manager, because I went bankrupt, I fired him or he fired me or it didn't work out, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to, we always yeah. joke around about it. And um, I went to the drawing board and I used that pain as fuel, unbeknownst to me at the time, to really go out there and learn everything under the sun. Because this was 2000, 2001, 2002-ish in that time frame, Google wasn't around, I mean, it didn't come public until 04. Google had just started the website, but Facebook wasn't there. Twitter wasn't there. LinkedIn wasn't there. I mean, it was none of this stuff. Gmail was, wasn't even around at this point in time, let alone all of the uh, chat GPT and AI. None of this stuff existed, right? right? So I'm like, all right, I've got one job. I I never grew up as a reader or even a writer. Now I'm an author. I wrote a book and it was number one on, on Amazon for two months after I published it, which I'm very proud of and happy with. But I realized I've got to learn. The best way for me to learn is to read. So I just... I had an insatiable appetite and I read 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 and I, read and I, I had no money, but I was working these very low income jobs to pay the bills and just to make some money and get myself out of debt and so on and so forth. And I read everything on the sun. At the time, there were seminars being offered by Investors Business Daily. I loved fundamental analysis because that's Peter Lynch, know your company, know mm -hmm. invest in what you love. Yeah. Um, the, Graham and Buffett and all these kind of guys. And that was great, but it didn't give me any concept of timing. Technical analysis, well, that's fundamental analysis. And then there's technical analysis, Scott, which are those, those are the two big, you know, uh, competing schools of thought on Wall Street. Sure. Technical analysis, you study the stock. You look at the stock entry, the patterns, price, volume, so on and so forth. So think of it as two animals, one or two entities. One would be the business and the other would be the stock. 
and there you could have a good stock, lousy business, and vice versa. So uh, the it's almost like two religions that are feuding or two sports teams that don't like each other. And I'm like, well, there's good here and there's good here. And something like the Venn diagram, Bill O'Neill from Investors Business Daily came, I uh, came across his teachings and he took the good from here and good from here and put it together and built his own investment system. And that's when the penny dropped, the light bulb went off. I was like, wow, this really makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I took all of his classes, level one, two, three, and four. I met him, met his son, Scott, and I became well-versed in the canceling world. I applied at jobs all over Wall Street. Everyone said no to me because I didn't come from money. Basically, the interview was real simple. And I did this at all the big investment banks. Hey, Adam, if we hire you today, how much can you raise tomorrow? And I said, nobody, nothing, because I don't have access to big, wealthy network of people. So they said, okay, good luck. Come back when you can raise us some money. I said, all right, I'll work hard. Didn't matter. I don't have access. You know, so that's that was my reoccurring theme. Finally, I got a job on Wall Street and I stopped doing those uh mind-numbingly low-income jobs and it was in grad school and this was 2004 and it's when I started my business so I had accumulated about three or four years of just put my head down not read 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 I under I finished undergrad and then I started my business in my dorm room in grad school and unlike Gates and Zuckerberg who had you know became multi-billionaire tremendous success I've had my fair share of success since then and really Scott it, it it is. It's based on I'd accumulated enough knowledge. I started testing what I learned and I realized that the market, it's there's almost like a, a beauty to it because you can look at it, like I mentioned earlier, like a battleground or a gladiator, an arena where you're going to go in there and fight or as an f- unfriendly place, or you can look at it as a friendly place. And this is a really powerful lesson. So I had a lot of other realizations too. I love success. I love winning. And I'd love to study successful people. Hence the show, Smart Money Circle, right? Mm-hmm. And people can go to the website or go on YouTube. It's all free on Smart Money Circle. And I interviewed today some of the biggest, largest money managers and CEOs of publicly traded companies that I can get my hands on. Why? Because there's some smart folks over there and I want to learn from them. I still do until today. And what I realized, Scott, was back is that you really, the challenge here, you can study fundamental analysis all you want, study technical analysis all you want, but there's a gap and there's a void. And that's when I came up with the concept of psychological analysis, is that no matter how much you know or learn, that ultimately what defines your success or inability to succeed is your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others and other things, including money. It's your psychology. Do you have a winning mindset or a growth mindset or a losing mindset? It's just, everything is binary. It's simple. And I used to complicate things when I was younger. I thought it would make me smarter. Mm -hmm. Now it's the exact opposite. There's a certain elegance and simplicity. So my first job, getting back to that story on Wall Street, was Mm -hmm. working for a website called Cancelin.net. Cancelin is the investment system from Investors Business Daily. It's no longer around. IBD brought them out, shut them down afterwards. Um, They... It was a great deal, great environment, great guy who started the site. Uh, super, super nice. He gave me my first shot. Loved the guy to death. And there we had a very simple process. We'd have a newsletter for canceling growth investors. I'd, I knew it all because I already studied all that stuff. And I met him at a conference. He was giving a seminar. So I went up to him. I said, hey, yeah, do you have any advice on how someone can get started in the business? And he goes, my assistant just quit. Why don't you come in for an interview? I said, sure. So I went nice. in Friday at noon. And I kid you not, Scott, true story. I left at midnight. Wow. Needless to say, I got the job and we hit it off, became fast friends. We both spoke the canceling language. I had already taken, you know, level one, two, three from O'Neill and met um, Scott and Bill. And I was well versed in the canceling. We spoke the same language and he was preparing an aftermarkets report. And then he was going to Chicago the next week and he was going to stay late in the office and have dinner. He invited me to stay. And I was just young, hungry kid. I'm like, I'd love to learn. And he was putting together charts and I helped him put together the presentation. And then basically within a week or two, I took over the site and I started writing a lot of the content. And then I got licensed as a Series 7 broker, registered rep, you know, a, a normal broker at the time. But I quickly realized it's not for me because I had to call every client and say, hey, Mr. Jones or hey, Scott, or hey, J- Mary or Joey or whatever. Can, is it OK if I buy 100 shares of Apple and then sell it? And then we were charging 2% commissions on the way in and out. It was just the business model even I was in my young 20s at the time, didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, mm-hmm. this doesn't make any sense. It's not sustainable. It's not for me. So I left. They b- got bought out anyway, and they were shutting down. And I went off on my own. 
So my name's Adam. This is now 078-ish around that time frame. And I turned bearish on the market because I'm a student of markets. I went back and studied history, economic history, going back to the third century. And I realized there are certain behaviors that just repeat over and over and over again. You get these booms and then busts, these cycles on Wall Street. I studied the economy going back to third century, realized it was agriculture dominating for a long time. Then you had the industrial revolution, then you had services, then you had the age of information and so on and so forth. And during those different cycles, you'd have different bull and bear markets within that big, huge, ginormous economic uh, expansion. Mm -hmm. So, all right, what are those traits? And just like Einstein had the epiphany when he realized E equals MC squared, all right, there's certain constants. When I understood that human nature is a constant in markets, fear and greed, emotions drive behavior and purchases, people buy based on emotion and they justify it based on logic. And I call that emotional logic in my book because it's flawed, right? And if you have a mind, you have biases. Cognitive biases exist. Whether you're aware of them or not is a whole other story, but they're there. So I real I started diving in deep into the psychology stuff, and I realized that all throughout the centuries, the tulip bubble, the dot-com bubble, the credit bubble, it doesn't matter. The people change, the language changes, the religion changes, the race changes, the centuries change, but the one constant is human nature. It doesn't change. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I have something tangible I can sink my teeth into or just grab. And then, Scott, I was like, all right. Think of a, a computer. You ever call customer service and like the printer's not working, the first or the computer's not working. The first question they ask is, "It plugged in?" Like, oh no, it's not plugged in. So that's user error, right? There's nothing wrong with the machine. Yeah, it's just the user's not doesn't know how to use it. Well, I realized that that that's me. That's the story of my life, right? So I'm like, all right, there's nothing wrong with the market. You know, Einstein said this best. He's like, you can look at the universe as a friendly place or an unfriendly place. So I had the same concept for markets, and I said, all right, let me look at this business, zoom out. Let's, let's look at some higher level thinking here, right? One of the biases that I talk about in the book and that really impacts all of us, just about, is the personal blind spot bias. And what's that? It's basically a bias where if you ask 100 newlyweds, how many of you are going to get divorced tonight? Like, you know, raise your hand on their night they get married. No one's going to raise their hand. Yet statistically, we know half of them are going to get divorced. Riddle me that, Batman, right? Something's up there. <laughs> they can't see themselves objectively. That's the personal blind spot bias. Yeah. Well, I'm a human, last I checked. If this applies to other humans, it sure as you know what applies to me. And then I realized, oh my goodness, if I'm not even aware of that, what other biases am I not aware of that are impacting my decisions? Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Emotions are so powerful and they're just intertwined or entrenched in all of us interdependent or whatever word you want to use i have a young i have young kids right my daughter's 11 my son's six and um, you know the character venom from spider-man oh yeah of course so what does venom do he literally consumes the person right he takes them over and then he turns them into like this dark character and venom he just takes over the character the host it's the same thing with the emotions so i realized that it's user error. So my job, my passion in life became figure out how to improve the user. What can I control? Which that's me, right? My actions, my decisions, mm -hmm. all anyone can control. So I can't control what happens to me in life, but I can control how I react to it. I buy the stock, I sell the stock. There is no maybe on Wall Street. You're either in or you're out. And that's why I love it, right? The binary factor. 
Yeah. You're long, you're short. So that's that. Then as my journey progressed, because this is a discovery process, right? Like early on in my days, like I told you, there was no Google. I used to go fly up to DC and go to the Library of Congress. I'd sit there for hours and like weekends upon weekends, reading books that are no longer in print, just to get an edge, that slight edge. And then over time, you don't know when that aha moment comes, that awakening comes, but you just start realizing, you look back, it's like, oh, wow, I've learned all this. And then I'd apply certain things, like a scientist with a scientific method, you have a hypothesis, you test it. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, change the hypothesis, test a new one, right? And to keep doing it until you find one that works. And that's what I did with my trading. So knowing thyself is really important. Are you a long-term investor? Are you short-term trader? Are you risk averse? Are you comfortable having losses? So on and so forth. And then figuring out an approach that works for you. And that's the basically the, the whole model of the book. Give you my investment strategy. And I give you a, a foundation, a framework you can use to create your own trading, investing, guardrails, formula, methodology, approach, whatever word you want to use, system, something that you can use, structure is the word that I use, create your own structure so you can actually go out there and navigate markets in a profitable fashion. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is, a, that is a heck of a story, a heck of a journey. And the book is fantastic. Once again, we'll put the links uh, to get the book for yourself in the show notes. Adam, thank you. Uh, do you think what we went through in 2020 and uh, you know 2021, do you consider that a bubble? Yeah, I think there's no question that the 2000, after the dot-com COVID mini crash, the, the S&P 500 doubled in 18 months or less. The average returns got over 100 years of 7 or 8% in the S&P. Mm -hmm. It's not normal to see the market double in a little over 12 months. That's a bubble. If that's not a bubble, tell me what a bubble is and I'm, I'm all for it, right? So the bubble burst in 2022. And that, by the way, that was the S&P 500. If you look at the post-COVID stocks that went up, that stay-at-home stocks and all those that craze, then you saw these stocks go to Mars and then come crashing down. Some of them lost 70, 80, even 90% of their value. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. That's what happens after busts. So if you see a stock that goes up three, four, 500, 600%, and then comes down 90% or 80% or more, that's not a boom and a bust. I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So what's your outlook for 2023? If 2022 was the burst of the bubble, where are we here and now? Yeah, so that's a really good question. My thought process with the market, it's real simple. It's the next move wins, right? The market's trying to bottom. We put in a bottom in October. We have a little head and shoulders bottoming pattern. I talk about this on my membership website. It's called findleadingstocks.com. There's a free trial there for three months. Everyone can go sign up. It's a weekly newsletter. So I update people weekly with my thoughts. And you're forming a right shoulder of a big head and shoulders bottom. If the market can break above 4,100 to 4,200, the S&P can for that matter, and stay above that level, we're probably going to go higher. If we don't, and instead we break down below the 200-day moving average and break down below December's lows, then we're going to retest most likely October's lows. We break those, we're going to have another leg down. Inflation is still extremely high. Yes, it's coming down, but we used to have 2% as the upper limit. Now they're trying to get it down to 2%, so mm -hmm. it's a lower limit. That's not sustainable. 6 7%, 5% inflation, that's a very high. The average person can't afford life in three to five years if it stays at four, five, six percent. The Fed knows that. And that's going to cause massive, massive problems. So the Fed's slowing down on raising rates. We get that. They can pause. They can pivot and start cutting rates if needed. But that's going to happen, in my opinion, when two things happen. First, the jobs unemployment goes up because historically unemployment was way higher. And second, you're going to have housing prices come down. If we see housing prices come down significantly, and unemployment go up significantly, then inflation is going to come down. Just about a gimme. It's a guarantee. Until those two things happen, the Fed's going to continue to err on the side of, hey, let's raise rates, maybe slower than before, mm -hmm. maybe pause for a little bit, but they really can't start cutting until inflation drops big time and we need unemployment to go up and or housing to come down, in my humble opinion. So a lot of this, it's a game of tug of war. These patterns, I've learned morph on Wall Street. So you could have a head and shoulders bottom, looks great now, but if you undercut that, right shoulder, 
and you take out the head of that pattern, it's negated. And you could have cup with handles, you could have double bottoms that could evolve, could morph, they could work, they could not work, they could fail. So for now, it's a game of tug of war. And it goes back and forth. If the Fed comes out tomorrow and cuts rates, we can blast off and go to the moon near term. So the answer to the question, I'm a data dependent person. I don't know what I'm eating for dinner tonight, let alone where the market's going to be tomorrow or next week or next year. So instead of making predictions, I interpret what I see happening. And then, Scott, as I outline in the book, I anticipate with prudence what may happen next. And then I plan accordingly by positioning myself with the most important variable of anything, no matter what your investment approach is, in my opinion, is risk. I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to risk. Why? Because the ones that fail on Wall Street historically fail for one reason and one reason only. They don't respect risk. doesn't matter if you're fundamental, if you're technical, if you're psychological analysis, if you use uh, you know, moons or the astronomy, it does smoke signals or shaman. It doesn't matter. Hypnosis, I don't care. You throw darts against a wall. The ones that blow up in this business, in 2008, Scott, the entire investment banking model failed. Okay, you have the five biggest banks, Goldman, Morgan, Lehman, Bayer, and Merrill. Morgan and Goldman are the only two standing. The other ones failed or got bought out. And Morgan and Goldman both changed from investment banks to commercial banks. If you go, now, why do they fail? Wachovia failed. You can go on and on and on, all these different banks, right? Bear, yeah. Lehman. Why'd they fail? They didn't well, because they took on risk. too much risk and, uh, and didn't mitigate that risk. <laughs> they, they didn't respect risk. It's just simple. Right. It's one thing. They all failed, not because the, the loans or the MBS or CDS or LMNOP or QRS or TUV, because other investors made the same exact decisions and made the same investments, but they respected risk. So the inability to respect risk is why they failed. So that's where the, the, the winners separate themselves from everybody else respecting risk. So one of the key lessons that I strongly, strongly want to share with everybody is understand your risk tolerance and figure out an approach, your investing approach that works with respect to what you're comfortable risking. So once you're in a situation where you're able to say, oh, okay, I'm able to risk X amount or not risk X amount. You, you, in other words, you focus on what you can control. You can't control the upside. The stock can double, triple, quadruple. It can go straight down on you after you buy it. You can't control the upside, but you can control to a certain extent how much you can risk. And if you focus on that, Scott, all of a sudden you look at things differently. And when you look at things differently, guess what? Things change. What changes? Real simple. The ability for you to understand clarity, understand how Wall Street really works. Somebody on my show told me one time, Scott, it was a fantastic, fantastic line. He goes, Adam, we don't buy and sell stocks at our shop. I said, so what do you do? He said, we buy and sell risk, and so do you. I love that. I, actually, that, that leads me into uh, one of my next questions. On your show, Smart Money Circle, Adam, you have over 80 conversations with fund managers and investors. Uh, what are some commonalities that you've picked out from some of the most successful ones? So that's a really good question. The, um, there's several of them. Number one, they understand how to make rational, not emotional decisions. And that's why I wrote the book. Respecting risk, removing your emotions from the decision-making process are the two core ten or two of the core tenets of the book. There's more, but there's two of them. You ever do something, Scott, and hit a wall? Like every day. <laughs> Every day, yeah. Welcome to my world. I'm a trader, man. These, of course, I hit a yeah. wall every day. I call these things mental walls. And one of the things that successful people do is that they understand, this is all lessons from the show, and again, in the book, Simplified, is that they understand that we're in the performance business. What does that mean? Just like athletes or entertainers are in the performance business as well, it means a few things. Number one, it's not a predictable outcome. I, I'll give you a million dollars right now, Scott, if you could tell me with 100% certainty what the color blue looks like. Mm. I'll give five million to your audience if they can tell me what chocolate tastes like. Can't do it. It's physically impossible. 
I, I'll give you a million dollars right now to go trade for me. And I want you to make sure every single trade's a losing trade. If you do that with a thousand trades, I'll give you 10 million bucks. Can't do it. <laughs> right? You follow, you laugh. I'm tempted you know. to try though, Adam. I'm tempted to, yeah. I do, I do accept uh, donations. So, um, you know, if you, <laughs> if you yeah, want to go down like, that road, let me know. So, so my point is, is that if, if here's the deal in, there's certain business, there's two kinds of businesses. There's a business that gives you a predictable outcome, like a dry cleaner. You put mm -hmm. the clothes in the machine, it comes out clean just about every single time. An accountant, you go to an accountant, they're going to do your taxes. They might not do the best taxes. Maybe somebody else can do a better job, but the job will get done. A dentist is going to fill your cavity. Any credible dentist can fill a cavity with just about 100% guaranteed success, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Now, uh, there's that's one business model, predictable outcome. Uber, you pick up here, you drop off here. Guaranteed it's going to work every time. Now, or just about bearing a crash or some unforeseen event, right? Okay. The next business model, which is welcome to our world, Scott, is the unpredictable model, meaning it's not a guaranteed result. There is no predictable outcome. A lawyer can't guarantee she's going to win at court. A trader can't guarantee that you're going to make money year in, year out. In fact, the best traders in the world, some of them have losing years. It's normal. It's part of the process. A professional athlete can't guarantee they're going to hit a home run every time they stand up at bat. Can't do it. Now, the best baseball players in the world strike out seven out of 10 times or thereabouts, right? They only hit three out of 10, right? So that brings me to my next point. It's, it's really important to understand the truth and clarity when investing and not get caught up in the hype. A lot of people ask me, Adam, what's your percent win ratio or win loss ratio? It's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Why? It's absolutely useless information. It's like me talking to you right now and shifting gears and talking about G.I. Joe or, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It has nothing to do with the conversation. Why? Let's say there's 10 trades. Simple example here. You lose nine of those trades. Each time you lose, you lose one. So you're minus nine. The 10th trade, you win 10. Net, net, you're up one, right? Mm -hmm. 10 trades, you win one time, you win 10. Nine other times, you lose one each time. So 10 minus nine is one. That's a 90% losing ratio, but the 10, 10 out of 10 trades, you net positive one. Now the other fellow has the same 10 trades, wins nine of them, wins one each time. So they're plus nine. The 10th trade, they lose 10. They're minus one at the end of the 10 trades. Yet they have a 90% success ratio. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with anything. They're missing the mark. What matters? Risk, reward. How much are you losing when you're wrong? And how much are you making when you're right? So that's some of the lessons that I've learned from the show. Other lessons, it's got the emotional part of it. Now, we're all, you have a mind, you have biases, right? So understanding the cognitive biases that impact our decisions is really, really powerful. This book is the only book that I know of, investment book, that, I, that has cartoons. I literally put cartoons in the book. Can so you show me? Have, because I got the audio book. Yeah, sure. So we all have a good side I like and a that. bad side. So I created cartoon characters. Okay? <laughs> did you draw those yourself? No, a friend of mine okay. did. His name is Sean. He's really, he actually helped me edit the book and I give him a big shout at the beginning of the book. He's really, really super, super sweetheart. Love it. Um, what are these characters? Inside all of us, I believe there's good evil. There's, there's a smart money superhero inside of us. And then there's what I call the dumb money beast. The dumb money beast, think of like a Tasmanian devil a highly emotional creature that runs around causing chaos and they make emotional decisions look here's actually one of the sections it says the danger hold on a second the danger of emotional logic mm. right what does that mean it's that you're buying based on your emotions and then you're justifying it based on the decision you already made the logic that justifies that decision nobody buys a stock because they absolutely despise it I hate this stock. I'm buying it. You get it? Yeah. Why do people buy stocks? They buy it because they like it. They buy it because they enjoy the, some, the, whatever it is, there's an emotional, positive emotion. They like it. They feel good. Enter any other f emotion you want, but it all comes down to good feeling, bad feeling, positive feeling, negative feeling, right? They buy it because they like it. Then they find, they justify it based on the logic, the price, the breakout, the volume, the schmalume, the price to earnings ratio, the sh blah, 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 blah. whatever Doesn't element matter. they want. Yeah. It's all confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. 
what is confirmation bias? Read the book and you'll find out, right? Or Google it. That's one of the many biases that impact our decisions. So going back to the lessons that I've learned is that the smartest people in the business, it's not just in our business, in, in a performance-based business where you get paid to perform. And by the way, you get paid extremely well if you're able to perform at that high level. Why? Because you're able to excel and you're able to do things that most other people physically, and by the way, mm. mentally cannot do. There's a really good show on, on Netflix. It's called, or documentary, or I don't docu-series. It's called, um, uh, what is it called? Breakpoint. And they interview, my wife was just telling me about this. They interview some of the best tennis players in the world today, like alive now. And I just started watching the first episode last night. And it's really fantastic because tennis players like us get paid very, very well to hit the ball over the net. I love tennis. I'm a big tennis fan. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, it's a tremendously rewarding sport and I love it, so to speak, but it, it doesn't matter. That's my own bias. You don't care about what I like and what I don't like. Tennis is a great sport, right? All right, fine. They interview some of the best tennis players in the world and they show them what, what is needed to get ahead. What do you have to do to become the best of the best? And what's really interesting, as they're going through interviewing these tennis players, I can't help but think about how much overlap there is to trading and becoming the best at trading. Why? Because you have, and I have, all of us, the same exact, we're in the same exact arena. We see the same data. We look at the same stocks. What separates the winners from everybody else, the top 1% that win year in, year out, is what they do with the data. What do you do with mm -hmm. the information when do you enter? Notice you, it's individual. That's what psycho psychological analysis is about. Master thyself, right? Know thyself. How can I improve? How can I level up? How can I get better? How do I make better decisions? How do I perform better? What's my physiology? Because fear is a really big component. What's my relationship with money? Good or bad? How do I improve it? What can I do to perform better? This isn't a job, Scott, where you're paid by the hour. You're not trading time for money. In fact, a lot of what you've learned about work has to be unlearned to be successful in this arena because mm -hmm. we're not trading time for money. Most jobs, that's what you do, number one. Number two, your money, usually most people are taught to work for their money. Here, you literally do the opposite. Your money works for you. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for people to do because you step back and let the market do its thing. That's what I call time arbitrage in the book. Most people are looking at the leaves in the forest. They miss the forest. They live, miss the trees. They're looking at every tick. I call it tickositis. You ever get bronchitis or any other kind of itis? <laughs> so staring at every tick in the market, you're going to make emotional decisions, and that's going to cause you to see the leaves that are right here, but you're going to miss the trees and, and or maybe you see the tree, but you miss the forest. You miss the big, huge trends or the big moves. So knowing thyself and knowing what you're good at, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your blind spots, like Ray Dalio talks about, so incredibly powerful. This business, it's a mental business. It's about performing better. Be aware of your physiology because they're intertwined. Are you in good shape? Are you in bad shape? What are your triggers? What are your fears? What's your biggest fear? Mine was for years going broke. Now I'm no longer fearful of going broke. I know it's not going to happen, mm -hmm. but it, it dominated my because of my childhood for for decades. I was struggling with that. When I first started making money in this business, Scott, I was making 10 grand a week and I thought it was all the money in the world. And I still, I had imposter syndrome. It's, you Google it, it's a big thing. I couldn't believe it. I was taking money out of the market. Me, little old Adam, why would, why? I don't deserve, you know, all that negative thought. I self-sabotaged it. Hmm. And I learned. That's interesting. I, st I got back down the horse. I'm just sharing these stories because we're all human. I put my pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. And then all of a sudden, but I pushed through. So the learning curve here, this is how it works. I talk about this in the book too. It's really exciting when you learn something new. Tennis, stocks, investing, art, singing, it doesn't matter. You get a big jolt. You get dopamine. Okay, great. And then eventually you hit a wall. You learn, learn, learn. You hit a wall. Most people are programmed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. They hit a wall, they get pain. That joy of learning at the beginning, it's fun, it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's new. Novelty, new, it's so powerful and as an emotion. And then it gets pain because they hit a wall. Then they shy away, they look for another shiny object, a new investment system, a new trading system, and then bam, 
They get the dopamine hit again, and then they another shiny object. They become the jack of all trades and master of none. Successful people understand that learning curve. They hit that wall, they anticipate it, and they destroy it. Then they get another leg up. You level up. Then you hit another wall. Then you break through that, and you level up. My daughter, who's 11, has taught me so much about life, and my son too. Children in general. It's just adults, but without uh, – it's unfiltered, right? So Schmelf, the dumb money beast in the book, <laughs> came from um, when my daughter was young. One night we were watching Beauty and the Beast, and she stayed up late. It was my fault. And she um, want, didn't want to brush her teeth. She had a, a, you know, a fit. She was three years old, and she wanted to, uh, didn't want to brush her teeth. So she, my wife's in the bathroom with her trying to brush her teeth, and she's, you know, eh, like she's in that emotional state of hysteria almost, like just not thinking, not seeing straight. So I come upstairs. I don't know what possessed me, but I stood up. I'm like, Schmelf! And I get up and I make this stomping sound, like I'm stomping on an ant. And it was the funniest thing in the world. Imagine your dad, you're super tired, you're three years old, you see this guy making the stomping sound, getting so ridiculous and jumping up and down and laughing and screaming. She switches from just like bawling her eyes out to uncontrollable laughter. Scott, she's on the floor. Love it. Her state changes instantly. Five, not even, like three minutes later, she's brushing her teeth with bells on. I'm never going to do this with another human being, let alone a child, right? Mm -hmm. But I understand that the state you're in, the mental state, is that controls just about everything, right? I've been up. I've been down. I've had my good days, bad days, like everybody else. All right. When you're off, when you're down, right, and you're trading, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have good results or lousy results? Yeah. Well, I think uh... – you know, you, a lot of people, they trade their mood, they trade their personality or what they're going through right now. And 100%. so a lot of people, you know, if, they, if they're if they're angry, they're going to be angry at the stock and they're going to trade harder and push it harder. And that's usually when they lose more and lose harder. hundred percent. So that so that's where it was like, oh, OK, there's Schmelf and that's a dumb money beast. So mm-hmm. talk about pain and pleasure. And then I'll wrap up because I know that this is around the time frame. There's consequences to all of our decisions, right? We're programmed as humans to seek pleasure and avoid pain. All right, fine. Dalio talks about this, right? Short-term consequences, intermediate, long-term. I'll just keep it simple. When you eat a cookie, most people, do they get pain or pleasure instantly with that cupcake or that cookie? Well, I don't know about you, but I get lots of pleasure. (laughs) Me too, right? 100%. Now, that's short-term pleasure, but if you eat a cookie all day, every day for your only meals, no other nutrition, what happens after 50, 60, 70 years, 30 years? Well, I can tell you what okay. happened after the pandemic. I gained about 25 pounds. <laughs> exactly. And, and that leads to, and, and think about it though, Scott, it leads to pain. Mm-hmm. So short term, you get pleasure from that activity, but long term, you get pain, diabetes, overweight, so on and so forth. Now, going to the gym, most people associate pain with that short term. I don't want to do the sit ups, I don't want to sweat. But if they do that, long term, they get the gain, they get the pleasure. So understanding order of consequences and understanding your brain and how you're programmed is really, really powerful. So here's another thing in the book. I talk about Schmelf and the superhero. Let me see if you could see that here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. So Schmelf is eating cookies and superhero is eating an apple, right? So look at the name of the, the chapter, how to make smarter decisions. It's all life's about. If you can make smarter decisions and eat those apples. Every once in a while, you have a bite or two of the cookie, that's fine. You don't have to eat the whole cookie, but understand that how to make smarter decisions in all of life, the totality of life. Mm-hmm. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Somebody actually, my wife gave me a great line. It's big money energy. Understand the smart money energy. Understand how the top 1% think, how they act. A friend of mine told me the other day, he goes, Adam, you're so intense. 
me, I'm intense. I like to, you know, joke around and play. I don't look at myself as intense. Somebody, but he's not successful. Somebody who's infinitely more successful than me looks at me like I'm a wuss. I'm not even mm-hmm. like I should do 10 times more, 100 times more. So it's all relative, but really understand thyself, master thyself, remove the emotions and decision-making process, learn how to get better, just a slight edge every day, get better, focus on the input, your decisions, and the output, making money, will take care of itself over the long term. So good, uh, Adam. You, you, uh, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Uh, I do have a few more questions if uh, sure. you have time for me. In the book, you do mention Stan Weinstein. What about him? influenced your trading and what other books do you consider other than your own uh, mandatory reading oh wow so great question stan weinstein's one of the greatest uh people that have impacted wall street what i mean by that he's influenced positively shared his teachings with thousands and thousands of thousands. i mean with, I, I don't even know how many people just endless amount of people and i'll find it in the book so i can show you the actual um dialogue here or the, sorry, the, the, the illustration. The illustration is real simple. He called, he created what's called, or identified, not created, but identified stage analysis. Okay, there it is. There's four stages to every stock. Mm-hmm. You have stage one, which is the base. Stage two is the uptrend. Stage three is the top of the stock. And stage four is a downtrend. Here's the illustration in the book. Give credit to Weinstein. And there's a stage analysis. It's on page, uh, let's see, what number is that page? page 60 for those of you that have a hard copy of the book and that's phenomenal i love simplicity the kiss method the military's keep it simple last s is for me i need to understand something like a to a five i can explain to a five-year-old or to a 10-year-old stock goes up we make money for long stock goes down we're short anything more than that you lose me right so this stage analysis was really really powerful because he breaks it down into simple terms other books that i love his book is how to profit in bull and bear markets great book uh, Marty Schwartz, Pitbull, great books. Uh, William O'Neill, How to Make Money in Stocks, great book. Um, Monster Stocks by John Boyk, phenomenal. He's got a few books, John Boyk. Love that guy, love his books. Um, let's see here. It depends how deep you want to go. I love psychology, so I have a lot of other psychology books, but I've mm-hmm. got hundreds of trading books. Read Graham if you want. If you Read Peter Lynch, um, One Up on Wall Street. I'm looking at a bookshelf as I speak with you here. There's Trend Following. Michael Covell is a really good book, too. Um, trading in the Zone is a good book. I mean, there's so many of them from a trading book standpoint. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to level up, understand the performance aspect of it and read books on performance, on psychology, on the, pow- the Power of Now is one of my favorite books ever. Yeah. Read A Course in Miracles. Phenomenal book. Read Relentless by Tim Grover. Read Winning by Tim Grover. He was the trainer for Michael Jordan and for Kobe Bryant and for Dwayne Wade and all these other guys. I mean, it's the same language. It's the same lessons that are taught over and over again. Uh, Let's look at my bookshelf. What else I got? Emotional intelligence, so powerful. Understand your own emotions. Understand what makes you tick. Um, What else here? Marty Zweig's book, Winning on Wall Street. Such a great, great book. Uh, We spoke about Pitbull. That's a great book. So, Understand um, the rules of life is a really good book too. Uh, you also mentioned Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, which is one that, of my favorites. I listen to this at least once a year. Uh, what is uh, one of your takeaways from this one? Yeah, so Think and Grow Rich, Napole- uh, Napoleon Hill, uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, no question, read all of that. Think and Grow Rich, accurate thinking. Okay, we're all looking at the same thing. You look at this and tell me, is this blue or is it purple or is it yellow or is it pink? Stock is good or stock is bad. It's an opinion. Mm -hmm. Accurate thinking and accountability are two superpowers. If you can understand how to accurately think and then hold yourself accountable, and I have a coaching program on fine leading stocks where I work with traders that want to level up. It's just that. It's accurate thinking and it's accountability. And I took it straight from Napoleon Hill and I tell everybody that signs up, we're here to help you think accurately, make smarter decisions, and I'm going to hold you accountable because you can get away with it. This trading is a, it's a very um, – it's a business where there is virtually no accountability. I lost 10 grand today. I don't have to tell you I lost 10 grand today. 
I lost a hundred grand today. I don't have to tell my wife I lost a hundred grand today. I made a million dollars. I don't have to tell anybody I made a million dollars, right? There's no accountability. Now between you yourself and me, myself and I, like, you know, between you and yourself, you, you can BS yourself all you want, but if you want to be successful, you've got to be intellectually honest. You've got to be able to accurately think, look at the facts and interpret them objectively and hold yourself accountable. And it's very difficult for people to do it because there's biases and I help people do that. I give them the structure. Very cool. You're one of the only traders that I know that talks about the subconscious mind. Tell me how you uh, reprogrammed your subconscious mind for success. And then how do you keep that program up to date, Adam? Yeah, that's a great question. So th this is one of those things where nobody taught me success is a choice. I, I, I wish I could show you my screen. Hold on. Let me do this. I, I think you can. I think you can. I can share my screen. At, at the bottom, oh, yeah. Oh. I think you should be okay. able to. Hold on. Watch this. I've got an easier thing to do here. On my desktop, on my computer, this is what it says. Oh, I love that. Success is a decision. Literally, it's a decision. That's my. I stare at that on my desktop every single day. That's all it says. It's just success is a decision. Do you want to be successful? Yes or no? Most people are like, yeah, I want to be successful. Okay, show me what actions you're taking to be successful. Because talk is cheap. Sticks and stones can do what? Break our bones, but names can never harm me kind of a thing, right? All right, why can names not harm me? Because there's no action. A stick getting whacked in the head? Yeah, I can break my bone. Get it? I want a flat stomach. How many sit-ups you do today? Zero. You don't want a flat stomach. That's accountability. So choosing to be successful is step one. That's number one. Step two, when I open the book, the, even the, uh, the, the chapter one, okay. Leo Melamed, who's the guy who invented stock market futures and currency futures and treasury futures, he's the chairman of the CME. He's been on my show a few times. Super great guy, mentor, guy, not even a mentor because he came late in my life, but just a f role model, hero of mine, Holocaust survivor, next level, he came here with nothing, built them, you know, became the chairman of the CEO, uh, CME and mm -hmm. invented stock market futures and all that stuff. Is He literally talks about the importance of choosing success. His family left Poland and was chased out of there, went to Japan, landed in Chicago. He knew nothing, had no money, and he could have been a drug addict or could have died or could have been a, a pimp or a prostitute or, or what, not a prostitute, a, a druggie, a, a gangster, right? Yeah. What do you end up doing? No. He chose he to be successful. To me. Yeah. Cho choice, right? So step one, this is the prologue. What does it say there, Scott? Oh, you deserve to win and be rich. Yeah. I love that. That's step. That's the. That's not even the chapter. That's the prologue mm -hmm. before we even began the book. So understanding that you deserve. Just read the prologue, if nothing else. Buy the the, the hard copy is what I would recommend because there's a lot of good stuff here and take notes on it. Here's chapter one. How to think like the uh, top one percent. Yeah, there's a whole chapter dedicated to mindset before I even talk about stocks or fundamental analysis, or technical analysis, or any of that stuff. Why? Because the mindset dictates your success. Somebody who never gives up, somebody who wants to activate their inner superhero, somebody who wants to go from an L to a W, like my buddy um, Moshi says, he goes from a loser to a winner, an L to a W, can do it. But they have to want to do it, and then put mm -hmm. the work in. Chapter one, how to think like the top 1%. Chapter two, why you're not beating the market and what you can do about it. Chapter three, the one question you need to ask before you get started. And then we talk about fundamental analysis, chapter four, technical analysis, five. Six is how to develop a winning strategy that beats the market. Seven, we talk about psychological analysis. Notice when it's introduced, chapter seven. It's chapter eight, here's another whole chapter dedicated to answering this question. Master your mental state and your life will change. Chapter nine, how to make smarter decisions. Chapter 10, what's holding you back, your mental walls and cognitive biases, and then how to destroy them. Master the learning cycle, we briefly spoke about that. And the most important skill to master on Wall Street, which is, spoiler alert, risk management, right? And then what happens next, looking to the right of the chart, most people look to the left of the chart, 
and then welcome to the smart money circle. So some of these things, I mean, there's a whole book. I can't even answer, begin to answer those here. I gave you some of them, but there's so many more. I mean, I'm so passionate about helping people go from LSW. Look what I did with my life. Nobody was there for me. So I'm here to help other people who want it. Adam, I, I, I love it so much, man. Like I came from a scarcity mindset before I got into trading and investing. Uh, you know, I was in my bank overdraft for every month for 15 years and stuff like that. And now, you know, now I, I'm feeling a little more success, but obviously there's a lot of mental gremlins that I have to work out. And so I actually have a journal behind me and every morning I write out, I am deserving of money and a good steward of the dollars I receive as a reaffirmation to myself, uh, you know, working through some of the things that, that uh, you've talked about over this interview. So, man, uh, just such uh, powerful material here. You know, um, I, I would like to finish by just really recognizing what you do for the trading community as a whole. You know, when I first saw you, you don't know this, uh, you're working with uh, Jim Ropel. I saw yes. you help him launch his premium service. I've seen you work with Tom Canfield. You know, you are someone who I consider a superhero using your powers you. for good. And so I just want you to know that it is noticed and appreciated by the trading community. And I want to thank you for all the stuff that you put out to help investors, no matter how much money they have under management. Yeah, thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. I, it's all because I, I wish this was there when I got started, right? So Jim came on my show and we hit it off instantly. We're both cancelimonial guys, growth yep. investors. And I, I I just said to him, it took me six months to convince him, but he, <laughs> he was able to, he's a, another hero, great guy. I love the guy, like a brother kind of a thing. Uh, Tom Canfield, same thing, love the guy like a brother. He was able to put himself through and four kids through college. Uh, he's not put himself through college, sorry. Put four kids through college, working full-time with only one income, and that's a stock market. No other income for decades. Mm -hmm. Now, if that guy can do that, my goodness. I got uh, Marty Chargan also, if you're familiar with him. He's a phenomenal guy, former principal of a school. Now he trades full-time. That's uh, mcstockcharts.com. I love finding these undervalued guys that have and gals by the way mm -hmm. that have knowledge they have expertise and then packaging it and selling helping them sell it but helping them really give value to the audience because they they're doing what they're doing right they're doing the routine they're like you're journaling they're writing the reports about the market they're doing all this but they're keeping it inside like me for, for years that's what i did yeah and then i realized oh my god i can benefit many people can benefit from this so why not share it and then there's there's a business element too, but, but that's normal. But Elon Musk, richest guy in the world, right? He charges for Teslas. He charges for, for internet, <laughs> He's right? He's giving away the cars. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So it, there's a business element. You could like it, hate it, love it. That's a whole nother story, but it's just, it's a part of life, right? The business side of it. So it's got to be there. Otherwise the world wouldn't go round. So I look at it instead of as a bad thing, I look at it as a good thing. And then, because my, my L days, I used to look at it as a bad thing, but now as a W, I oh, okay, I get it. It's actually good. It's helpful because business helps society. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, okay, other people can help ben benefit from these services. So if you go to truemarketleaders.com, that's my team right now of different people that I have on the platform that I'm growing. And if you know anybody that has the skills, there's a, a lot of people come up to me, hey, Adam, I want to join the platform. I want to sell a service. No, 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 no. Just master the art of saying no. But the right person who's got the right skills, that's true, authentic, and legit, and gets it, and is honest, integrity, all that stuff, uh, it's a pleasure of mine to help to give them the microphone. And I just sit back and I watch them in awe. I love it. Very cool, man. Be sure to check out Adam's uh, YouTube show, The Smart Money Circle Show. Links for everything Adam Sarhan in the description. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time today. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure. From the bottom, ain't no half-stepping. I'm the dog, I made it through so they don't ask questions. Long Beach, and it ain't no half-repping. Once a dog, always a dog, so they don't ask questions.
you looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.